Welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. It's time to get fired up. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts, and please rate and review the show. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. I'm joined by co-host Blake Murphy. Big day on the show today. Raptors general manager Bobby Webster scheduled to call us in about five minutes or so. Um, so, yeah, Blake, you excited? What are you going to ask Bobby? Just the cat minutia. Yeah. Just uh, why Why did you take away Nando DiColo's cap hold for me last year? What uh-huh. is the what is DeAndre Hewlett, who you still own the, the draft rights to from the year 2000? What's he up to? Is uh-huh. he in the plans for 2025? Um, no, man, I, I want to know. Look, the, the word of the day yesterday for them, I guess I was going to say flexibility, flexibility, but they said optionality. Yeah, and That's like, look, I did word, my big... It? My big annual post-deadline cap breakdown at sportsnet.ca, and it's true. There are a lot of different paths to making this team better, but that was part of the explanation for standing pat at last year's trade deadline. It was part of the explanation for rolling most of last year's roster back into this year, and I'm curious to dig in a little further on, you know, hey, having having a bunch of different paths to improve your team is a positive, Yep, but you know, what is the timeline for establishing one of those paths and acting on that flexibility? And what does that look like? Because, you know, 60 million in cap space sounds like a lot, but then when you get into cap holds and new contracts and potential trades and stuff like that, it's not, you know, 60 million in cap space doesn't mean what 60 million cap space means necessarily. Yeah. Well, let's bring in somebody who might talk about um, more of this cap minutia with you. Bobby Webster, Raptors general manager, Joining us on the Raptor Show once again, um, Bobby. How are you doing? What's up, fellas? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, we have like a very vertic- vertically compressed version of you right now, so um, it's all right. It's not you. You don't no, need to no, change no. your posture. It's uh, it's all good. Yeah, it's all okay. you're, you're Luigi. I'm Mario, essentially, right now, proportion wise. Um, is that make me Bowser? What is that? Uh. You know what? Uh, anyway. We only have 15 minutes with Bobby. We're going to use him wisely. Okay. So, Bobby, I wanted to start, before we get to the trade down, just with the plan coming into this season for you guys. Because I was listening to the press conference you did yesterday, and you had mentioned that the season didn't get off to quite the start that you guys expected. So, what level did the team need to play at where you guys sort of choose a different path than what you guys chose to do this year at the deadline? Yeah, I mean, it always comes out to wins and losses, right? And I think, you know, you can envision a some hypothetical record of where we were wins and loss wise, where we felt like keeping the team together and continuing to build it um, would have led to a kind of different end result. But, you know, we can, we could rehash that if you want, but I think ultimately we saw it and it just wasn't quite working. And so we decided to, you know, go in a different direction. Okay. I don't want to rehash it too much, but I did want to ask just for clarity, um, was there an approach in terms of a contract extension this season for, either OG or Pascal Siakam uh, before you guys ultimately chose to move on from them? Yeah, I think we talked about with both of them prior to the season. I think we, you know, OG was limited based on the rules of the CBA. So, um, you know, he he respectfully declined. And then with Pascal, we did have conversations, but ultimately, you know, couldn't come to an agreement on a deal before the season. Um, So yesterday, obviously you make those deals and you spoke yesterday that the heavy lifting was done earlier than the trade deadline and the headline item for your trade deadline and around the league kind of was the the deals that didn't get done it wasn't a a particularly a lot of trades but not big names being moved um bruce brown is someone that you guys acquired in the pascal trade that a lot of people seem to think would be eventually rerouted uh somewhere else 
at the deadline. And you said yesterday that, you know, the threshold wasn't met for a Bruce Brown trade um, without I, I know you're not going to tell me, hey, we wanted this exactly this. But, um, you know, how close was that threshold and how much did it seem like, you know, that was a market wide reality rather than just a Bruce Brown reality? Yeah, a couple of things that I think we saw that weren't a ton of, of big names moved yesterday. I think there's a, a lot of macro kind of NBA pro sport factors in play. Um, but I think this back to Bruce and, you know, we just met with him here and, you know, after shoot around, he's 27. He has incredible championship pedigree. Um, there's a competitiveness. There's a two-way ability that we like with him. And so even when we did the the trade four um, with Indiana, we got Bruce back. There was always this scenario. And so I think ultimately, you know, another team or a contender was, you know, in essence, going to have to blow us away with an offer to to get Bruce. Otherwise, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it. He, he has an interesting contract here with this summer. There's a lot of options to keep him, um, options to, you know, hold on draft night while we consider other moves. Um, but I think first and foremost, we've always liked Bruce as a player. And so we're, we're excited to keep him for the rest of the season. So those options for anyone who doesn't know, you know, you could pick up his team option and have him as a player. You pick up his team option with the intent of, of trading him. You could walk away from it and have the cap space there um on the trade value front would you anticipate he would have similar value around the league on draft night or on july 1st as he as he did you know as you guys kind of canvassed the league um at the deadline here yeah i think based on the offers we had you know yesterday or the or just at least at least the discussions um you hope that that he would maintain some of that value um you also hope that you know maybe he plays his way into this core and and, you know, as a part of our future and, and maybe the one scenario you didn't go through was, uh, you know, declining the option, having the ability to resign it as well. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Lots of optionality with that one. Yeah. That was option. the key word. That was the topic uh, that came out of your press conference a, a lot after yesterday. Um, I want to ask about one of the moves that was made. So, um, you know, you guys brought in Dennis Schroeder last year um, at, uh, you know, Summer League. I remember, you, you know, him getting introduced and uh, you know, Dennis, I think even spoke then about coming in and wanting to start. And uh, obviously he was the starting point guard for the majority of the season before that change was made. And we've seen Darko speak lowly about Dennis and also use him in a lot of like high leverage situations. And I know you mentioned financial flexibility. Was was there any other reasons why you guys chose to part ways with Dennis Schroeder in this deal? I think going back to what you said, Dennis came off an incredible summer. We had, you know, really high hopes and expectations. I know Dennis had it himself as well. And so like, you know, he's the ultimate, you know, competitor. You know, we've all seen him raise the level of our play, I think, even in that last Charlotte game. Um, but I think, you know, ultimately he was brought in with the Pascal OG, that team to sort of compete. And so probably just uh, as our timeline shift, the ship, the timeline of Dennis with us shifted and, you know, move him on, you know, wish him the best and like we'll always follow and, and you know, have a lot of love and support for Dennis. So in terms of what did come in, uh, actually, sorry, I, I got to do one more on the the kind of flexibility, if that's okay. So, so Dennis going out, you know, clears a, a little bit of salary from from next year's books. We talked about the the Bruce Brown options there. You have Kelly Olynyk, who you were quick to highlight yesterday as extension eligible, and you could you know lower that cap hit by signing him to a new deal potentially. Emmanuel quickly comes with uh, a very small cap hold as a restricted free agent this year, which which gives you guys some flexibility in the summer as well. I mean, going through this and going through my cap exercise and stuff, it really does seem like you guys have placed a premium on that flexibility and the ability to take a couple different paths in July. Is that a fair read on kind of the the spirit behind these moves as a collective? Hundred percent, and and us, you know, still here before and said the same thing probably for the past 
you know, 10, 10 years. And I think it's something we've always valued as a franchise until you're ready to lock into a team that you think is really a high level competitive team. This is probably the best approach. Um, and especially with the the new CBA and there's a ton of restrictions and not spending a lot of money and just having flexibility if you can, you know, take advantage of other teams who have spent too much and maybe need to, you know, get all salaries and, and attach players or attach, you know, assets to it. So, um, you know, the next, the second trade deadline is always draft night. And so we'll, we'll be well positioned on draft night, um, you know, to hopefully take advantage of this. You know, there's no guarantee we do, but I think just having that option and we saw it this year, the deadline, we had some deals we turned down where we could use some of that, you know, theoretical cap space next season to take on picks. Um, but ultimately, you know, we hope those deals will still be there in June and we'll have another shot at it. Okay. I wanted to ask about um, one of the two pieces you guys brought in, Ocha Abaji. How long have you guys been tracking Ocha and his progress and what you see is his like long-term uh, trajectory in this league? Yeah, I know for me, at least our, our scouts brought up to me is to his freshman season at Kansas. He kind of, um, you know, started to to get some opportunities off the bench and then, you know, he ends up with a really illustrious career at Kansas. I think culminating, you know, um, most outstanding player in, in the tournament. Um, and then, you know, he gets drafted. He gets put in the Donovan Mitchell trade. So we're watching him the whole time. Um, I think we feel like, you know, he fits kind of the two-way Raptors mold, you know, uh, loves to play defense, you know, developing offensively, um, you know, can make a three-point shot. And we just feel like in this environment with Darko, where we're going, age-wise, energy, excitement, he'll fit right in with this core. Is the challenge for him, you know, in his next stage developmentally going to be, you know, you mentioned the defense transition wise, he's, he's incredible from the tape, pretty looks like a pretty good team level defender. Like, are you guys hoping he can turn into, you know, one of your primary point of attack guys on, on defense as well? Yeah, I think that, that, you know, he's, when you see him, he's blessed with a lot of physical um, capabilities. He's a great athlete, um, he's big, he's strong. So I think that's kind of, as we all know, the effort on the defensive end, the ability to lock in, you know, that should travel, well, that should be night to night. Um, and then the offensive end, fitting in around someone like Scotty Barnes and quickly he can make a shot. Um, and as he develops more offensively, you know, he'll, he'll provide some, you know, additional shot creation. Okay. Um, I don't want to ask about the other piece too. And Kelly, I know you guys already talked about uh, the flexibility, the optionality. Um, do you see Kelly as a piece of the team next year and beyond? Yeah, we wouldn't do the deal if we didn't see that, right? Okay. I think uh, from a skill set, talking about it a little yesterday with Scotty and, and talking to Scotty today is we haven't had a, you know, sort of skilled stretch five around him. Um, I think there's a bit of veteran presence also we lose when you do, you know, you, you lose Dennis and Dad. So we want to maintain some structure around, um, you know, relatively young core. It's not, it's not a bunch of rookies and second year guys, but they're, they're between 22, 27, 28. Um, so it's kind of twofold, which is he provides a skill set and then kind of a steadying uh, hand for us. Okay. Well, on the subject though, Scotty, so much discussion around building around Scotty. You guys are clearly making a very intentional effort on that front. Um, I want to ask you guys, what role do you see him playing long-term? You, you mentioned yesterday, for example, you would like to see potentially some more reps of him running point again, which may open up based on the trade deadline. But what, what long-term role do you see for Scotty Bard? Yeah, I think we're we're all seeing it now, but I think Scotty projects as a really unselfish hub, and you can learn a lot of things around him. Whether it's him as the primary ball handler, whether he's a secondary ball handler in the in the half court, our job now uh, is to surround him with the right skill set and personnel that fit his strengths. Um, and I think you know, 
big moment this week with Scotty being named to as an all-star in just his third NBA season. I think it's a, probably a pretty esteemed group that, you know, he joins. Um, and so it's how do we, you know, grow him? How do we raise him in an environment here uh, where we're getting the best out of him on the court, but also, you know, teaching him leadership skills, um, being a great teammate. Um, you know, so those are all the challenges you have with Scotty, but we feel really, really strongly that the base with Scotty is a really high floor. So when it comes to his, you know, kind of fit with these new pieces, um, you know, we can see the center position now, right? Like Jakob Pernal's back healthy, Kelly Olynyk's in here. We all know Kelly's game uh, really well. The way the depth chart looks right now, I think you mentioned it briefly yesterday, uh, maybe a little bit more room for Scotty as, I mean, point guard or de facto point guard, wherever you want to, uh, however you want to frame that. Um, does, you know, as you look longer term, does the the focus become on finding more shooting around that, more defending around that, or, or are we, you guys still kind of figuring that out as you see what Scotty looks like with IQ, with Kelly, with, with uh, RJ here? Yeah, listen, at the highest level, you need two-way guys. You need to be able to defend at a high level. Um, I think, you know, you're always going to see us put a premium on shooting around Scotty going forward. But I don't think it's just as simple as just, you know, catch and shoot. You, you need dynamic players who can cut off the ball, um, who can create on their own as well. And I think, you know, you see different scenarios around the league with players similar to Scotty. You do need a mix of shooting, uh, but you do need some other, uh, you know, creation around him. Okay. Well, to that point, um, you might have already answered it, but why did you target Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett as the specific surrounding pieces around Scotty? Like, what, what specifically do they do that you like that fits with his uh, projected skill set and his current skill set? Yeah, I think going back to that deal, we saw two players, uh, you know, 23, 24 years old who had an opportunity to grow in. And, you know, in New York, I think they're, it's very clear what their kind of pecking order is. And so we, we were looking for players around the league, not necessarily, you know, specifically in New York, but players that, if given more opportunity, could really blossom. And so I think with, uh, you know, Emmanuel and RJ, they both, both of the people I've seen over the past, you know, a few weeks here, and we haven't had a whole team together just yet. Um, but there is more scoring. Uh, there's more shot creation. Uh, there's an ability to play as starters as opposed to coming off the bench. So a number of a number of reasons, but I'd say primarily age um, and just putting them, you know, up a slot kind of in in order on uh, on the team. Okay, this is jumping around, but uh, you just brought it up. Um, can we expect to see, um, you know, Kelly and Ochai available for tonight's game? Is that are, are we are we a little too eager, or what's going on? Fingers crossed, you know, it takes two to tango. So they're in Toronto, so they will be at the game tonight. There's a bunch of uh, NBA rules around trade, so they do have to pass a physical, and the guys in Utah need to pass a physical. But, you know, we're hopeful that, uh, you know, they'll be available. Okay. And then I think the last question around Scotty, um, this is maybe more of a question for Masai, but we have you here and I wanted to ask you as well. Um, you know, Masai, when he talked in his press conference about a few weeks back, he, he mentioned that he kind of wished that he had foresaw this jump from Scotty to all-star level, which we're seeing right now, um, a little bit earlier. And I guess my question to that is, do you think that would have changed anything in terms of the team-building strategy? For example, if Scotty had made this jump the last year instead of this year? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting what-if. I, I think where I kind of started this conversation with Scotty is he's an all-star in his third NBA season. And, you know, if you want to look at the players who are all-stars in the second NBA season, now you're talking about, you know, uh, you know, very, very, you know, top five players in the league sure. now. And so I think it'd be a bit unfair to say, you know, this was expected of Scotty or, um, you know, we wish he would have done that. So no, I think like, you know, what's what, so I, the development is not linear. And, and I think we're happy with, you know, whatever 
whiny curve got him to be an all-star in year three. Yeah, no doubt. Um, but I think, by the way, did Scotty also say that you're the one who broke the news that he was the all-star? Yeah. How'd that go? Um, so the NBA calls you yeah. and they say congratulations and they say about can we get Scotty on the phone? Uh, they actually say can we get Scotty on the phone to see if he accepts as if someone wouldn't <laughs> accept. And so I'd actually been texting with Scotty earlier that day and so um, you could probably imagine this generation of kid doesn't like to pick up the phone so I texted him and I said pick up I'm calling <laughs> and I had to be on the line and he had no idea and I said I said Scotty have the you know president of basketball ops for the NBA on and I don't know if he thought he was getting in trouble or whatnot and um so I click over and they say you know we'd like to invite you to Indianapolis for the all-star game and you know do you accept that he was on the team bus I think in Charlotte right and one of those I always just imagine one of those cool moments where you know, you're in sort of a private setting. You can't necessarily share with everybody. It's not the most, you know, humble thing to like yell out on the bus that, you know, hey, I just was announced as all-star, but I could just tell sort of through the phone, the excitement he had. And, and you know, he was really um, energetic and, you know, told the NBA he couldn't wait to be there and let's go and all the stuff you can imagine Scotty would say. Got you. Got you. Well, you got, we have one last question for you, not on Scotty, but just uh, one last one about the past. Uh, obviously, Fred Van Lee returns to Toronto the first time since uh, leaving this past summer. Um, I, I want to get it on the record. Who in the front office should get the most credit for discovering the uh, now highest paid undrafted player of all time? You know, we don't do that. We all we all take the credit and we all uh, think it's All right. I got a question maybe you will answer. Actually, this is also a non-trade deadline question before we let you go here. Um, man, I, I know you, got, you guys have a game the Friday in Miami and a game the Sunday in Miami, but April 13th, UFC 300, our guy, Max Holloway, Raptors super fan uh, for the BMF belt, and you can watch it on SportsCenter and Sportsnet Plus, obviously. See you in Vegas or what? That, that would be quite the weekend. Friday night, Miami, Saturday. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but it's, I don't know if you're making it back for the game Sunday. We got a whole offseason after that, though, to, uh, to or play in maybe, maybe but uh, a whole offseason to, to recover, so. Well, yeah, go Max. We're always there supporting them. So um, I would love to go to that if I can. But, uh, you know, sometimes duty calls. So. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, we'll be rooting for him, man. Bobby, appreciate you. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll see you down at the game tonight. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Okay. Raptors general manager, Bobby Webster. Well, he didn't answer. Do you have an answer for me? Who oh. should get the most credit for discovering Fred? Because you know what I mean? Because the reason yeah. I asked it, because there's a lot of people who have, like, some claim to it. So, discovering, I don't... Like, he played in the NCAA tournament, which no, does... They, I, like, I, he know, was, I know, I know, I know. I'm like, going to lean with my guy, Tolzman. Okay. Because, like, at All that right. point, not only was he, you know, on the road a lot doing the scouting and, and doing a lot of the G League level, you know, kind of steering that, those signings and stuff like that. But, like, mm -hmm. Fred was as much a, a G League success story and, like, summer league program success story as he was okay. uh, NBA success story, right? Like Like, he came in... It's not like they grabbed him and they were like, we know this is a guy. Mm. He got 50K guaranteed. Yeah, yeah. That's it. He was an Exhibit 10 guy. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, DeLon was hurt and he was in there competing against like Heslip and um, Crawford, Crawford and those guys. The, the son of the referee. Yeah. Joey Crawford. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Drew Crawford. That's what his name is. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. Like Tolzman between the scouting and the, uh, the voice in the draft room and, mm. you know, being the guy who was kind of operating the 905 at that point. I'll give uh, I'll give him the the 
tiny bit extra share of the credit. Here's the thing. I, I knew he wasn't going to answer it, and I was going to follow up with you afterwards. Um, and that really is very consistent with Bobby because we also had him for a live show last year. And thankful for Bobby for doing that. And I asked him who should get the credit for the Kawhi trade. And he gave me a very similar answer. So, but these are the key questions, you know? Well, here's the thing is the Kawhi trade. And no one has ever told me this. This is my, like, we know the Maasai story, right? He's, yes, he's, he's in Africa with Obama yes, he's uh, when this first comes yep. down. Yeah. And then the pacing to tell DeMar. Mm -hmm. But like Maasai's got to sign off on the Kawhi for DeMar framework. I'm giving Bobby credit for the fact that San Antonio also had to throw in five million bucks. Oh, that $5 million went directly as a bonus for that year. <laughs> like, that should be. Uh, um, okay, yeah. that's all the past. I mean, okay. listen, we, we, I try to ask him a little bit about just the recent past because, obviously, we, we did start the season with guys like Dennis, OG, Pascal. They're all gone. Just to get a little bit more clarity in terms of their situations. Um, but then also, obviously, focus on what's ahead with building around Scotty. Um, do you want to start with the past or do you want to start with the future? Yeah, let's start with the past. Okay. Um, OG declined the extension. Idea. Yeah, which which makes sense. I've been right. writing about that for a while. That yes. even with the new, we thought maybe the new CBA would make it what a was possibility. The most they could have offered again. This, this uh, it would have been a forty percent raise, which obviously sounds like like if if anyone is listening and wants to come down and offer us a forty percent raise, raise. Yeah, yeah, we'll take that. But the way the salary, you know, given OG was on an undervalued contract, yeah. he's probably going to beat that in free agency. Okay, um, there's just they got to do more about the extension rules. I, like I think. Sure. Like, I get it. You don't want teams to be in, like, cap hell because they made mistakes. But, like, to re-sign your own guy, mm -hmm. I don't know why in a soft cap league we ever have restrictions on that. See, the reason I'm with you on that is because I actually want them to take the training wheels off of these front offices in a way because at that point you can get a better sense of who's more responsible and who's less responsible. And I think that should create natural competitive advantages Yeah, that and you should be able to reap rewards from rather than just like you're always in these guys, like you're bowling with guardrails on. Yeah, and there's a homogeneity in like front office strategy where like part of the reason the deadline was quiet, look, some of it is the economics of the new CBA. Yeah. Some of it is there just aren't enough bad teams with interesting players. Sure. But a lot All of it is also by, that like, you know, not like contenders now, basically. 25 of the 30 GMs like see roster building similarly and like yeah. you can't go over a four-year contract except in very specific situations and like i get it you there's it's a capped system so you're always going to have to have some guardrails but you know this is uh like there's a max salary and a minimum salary and i think this is a bernie lee comment uh, jimmy butler's agent from the past yep. there, there could be a max salary a minimum salary and you can have the cap and the tax and the apron but anything between max and min yeah. like if, if a guy's willing to sign and a team's willing to give it, yeah. cool. And then if you've got to sell something and you've got to attach draft picks yeah, later to get out of it, like, yeah. another, like we don't need to relive the Allen Houston provision in the CBA where the yeah. Knicks get... By the way, James Dolan wants to complain about the NBA not being able to uh, handle the Raptors situation uh -huh. correctly because of Adam Silver's relationship with Larry Tannenbaum and the CBA. Yeah. They invented a get-out-of-jail-free salary cap card for the Knicks, like, in the 2011 CBA. Yes, yes. I think we used that on... Linus Clayson. Linus Clayson. Instead of Andrea Bernani, yeah. who was, I think, the guy that everyone thought it was going to be used on because he had a bigger salary, and instead, Masai actually flipped him to New York yeah. uh, for, you know, the pick became Pirtle, yeah. Pirtle kind of became Kawhi, whatever. Uh, anyway, so that's, this that's is not history. what you wanted yeah. to ask me about, but I do think it's, yeah. like, it's, it's not good for team building and for players or teams that you can't yes. like just if you want to keep your guys yeah you can't go past the max salary mm -hmm. let them keep your guys okay so there's that aspect the dentist aspect makes um a lot of sense the way bobby's explaining it right they wanted to be competitive with that group 
they went into the season, they saw it didn't work, they pivoted. And of course, if you're going to pivot off your core long, long-term mainstays in OG and Pascal, of course, you're going to also pivot off of Dennis as well. Uh, I saw he made it to New York in record time, yes. by the way. <laughs> yeah, he already did media availability last night. Uh, as Dennis will say, he was in New York at the end of the day. At the end of the day? Uh, yeah, he was in the, at the end of the afternoon, he was already there. Um, the other aspect, so around Scotty in, in particular, with all, some of the you know pieces, so Kelly seems like he's going to be here, mm-hmm. right? He's going to be re-signed. Of course, you acquire him with the idea that, I mean, it's not a grand conspiracy. Canadian boy, Toronto boy wants to potentially stick around. Um, makes a lot of sense. Ochai, bring it for the defensive profile, um, and we'll see sort of offensively there's some growth and steps there. That makes sense. Um, the discussion around building around Scotty Barnes and those specific pieces. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's interesting hearing him talk about the role because that's one of the things with Scotty. He can do so many things. It's not just like, well, we're going to pin him only at one position. First off, I'm sure front office doesn't even talk about positions in that way anymore. Nobody, nobody talks about the five traditional yeah. positions. Like, you've yeah. got... Like, and even yesterday when we were going over the roster, like, I didn't split it into the five positions where it's like, okay, you have a guy who's only a point guard in Emmanuel quickly. You have some, like, guard slash wings. You have some wings slash forwards. You have some bigs. And you have Scotty Barnes, who you could drop him in whichever of those buckets you want, depending on the need. It gives you some roster building optionality. Oh, optionality. (laughs) By the way, I looked it up. Optionality is an actual word. I don't know why I didn't think it was an actual word. Uh, I'm looking, you know, when you search a word on, on like uh, Google on, Mm -hmm. it'll give you that graph of like, you know, how much that word was used over time. Right. No uses of optionality in 1800s. No uses up until 1900, 1950 moves around 1960 starts to come up more and more. It's mostly a finance term. I feel like. Yeah. 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 Uh, This is, this is like the, the CBA and finance. This is the George Orwell doublespeak that they wrote of. But this is like the finance version of like, like players and coaches use the word comfortability a lot now. Yeah. It's like, you just say comfort. It means the same thing. Right. Yeah. We don't need the ability at the end. Yeah. Well, you know, it happens. Um, yeah. Anyway. Putting aside the grammar stuff. I'm in a, I'm clearly in a Friday mode here where you keep asking me real questions and I'm like, we can bring up the (laughs) Miriam Webster definition of optionality. Yeah. Uh, What am I doing? You're right. Friday's a thousand degrees in here. I'm very warm and uncomfortable. It's, uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, anyway, I appreciate Bobby for coming on. Uh, Again, I want to, I want to say that uh, that was not our, (laughs) we did not make Bobby vertically stretched. Okay. I want to be very clear. This is not like a, Strap to show responsibility. Trust that was me. out of our hands. I if promise. If we could do that, I would make myself thinner on TV all the time. <laughs> do you like Bobby I, in a funhouse mirror? I would look 6'3 and thinner instead of, uh, you know, 5'10 and the shape that I am. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to pivot off of that shape. And, yeah. Uh, we're going to take a break? Or what, what else yeah, are you so say? I want to tease what we got coming up. Yeah. Um, what so we got at 3 up? o'clock, we're going to talk to Sarah Todd, a friend of mine from, she, she covered the Sixers during the Toronto Raptors championship run. So I mm. uh, got close with all those Sixers people and then the Bucks people, of course. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously the Raptors beat both of those teams on their way to winning oh, trust uh, an NBA championship. Uh, but old she, history. Yeah, I love she, that part. She covers the Jazz now. So we'll get the Jazz side of this, um, learn a little bit more about Abaji. Sounds great. Um, and then, yeah, at the end of the show, we've got some Fred Van Vliet clips from, he spoke uh, earlier today. Oh, wow. The media is going to talk about Fred? Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Um, but what we're going to do in he the came next home segment, today, right? This is a reason for that. Yeah. yeah. What we're going to do in the next segment is um, there's a new dynamic here, and yes. we assume everyone's yes. playing. We got to reimagine what this rotation is going to look like. And you and I talked yesterday about the kind of minutes crunch that yep. are going to happen across the two, three, four positions. So what we're going to do is we're going to start from scratch, and we're going to rebuild the rotation. We're going to find okay. out where those trade offs are, where those pressure points are on Darko's right. new rotation. We're going to try to come up with one ourselves. Okay. Sounds good. We are going to pretend to be coaches. Well, after this break, but I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup.
Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Lou. Big thanks once again to Bobby Webster, Raptors GM, and also Raptors PR for helping set that up. Um, it's good to get some clarity on the decision-making, at least that went into the Raptors roster. Now me and Blake Murphy, co-hosts, are going to actually go through the exercise of, um, you know, deciding how the minutes are going to be. I mean, and it's only like 30-odd games left in the season. Might be some absences, blah, blah, blah. But just in general, just take a bigger look in terms of who do we got now? How much should each guy play? And Blake, explain to me why you wanted me to not prepare for this at all. To okay. do this like right on the spot, like fresh Omakase style. Because, like. <laughs> yes, um, because I think it's a more helpful exercise for us and for listeners, I hope, mm-hmm. when we're doing it in real time and you get to see some of the pressure points and trade-offs that you have to make. So I used to do this when I was at The Athletic. Every Raptors preseason, an exercise I would do is let's sit down and craft the rotation. And I would come up with, like, the actual specific rotation patterns. Like, here's who's starting. Here's what, you know, Kyle on the bench looks like this year, that kind of stuff. And through doing that, I would take, like, an hour to do it and sit Mm. down with it because you really do be like, like, you're setting it up and you're like, oh, okay, but if I do this, then, you know, this unit doesn't have enough spacing or this unit doesn't have enough ball handling. Um so I want, obviously we can't do it that specifically in a 20 minute segment, but I thought it would be helpful for the audience to hear and feel when we run into those kind of walls a little bit of, oh, that's why maybe Darko doesn't do this or Nick didn't do that or Dwayne didn't do that. Mm. Because Hard. if you do this, then, uh, then you have to do this. Or if you do this, you yeah. can't do that. So we're going to do like an expedited version of it here. Okay. So let's start yeah. with this. Who is starting for you? Who is in the starting so, line? Oh, for by the right way, now. so the oh, assumption yeah. right now yeah. is that the Raptors are. So we're play, We're doing this. You have 240 minutes in a game, so 48 yeah, yeah. minutes times five guys. We're assuming the game is close until the end. We're we're not going to do a garbage time scenario. So assume that the game is close True. until the end, and it is up to you how much you want to balance win now versus player development. Yeah, but you're not tanking. Mm-hmm. Like you're not trying to lose the game. It's more the decisions you're making are more about player development versus veterans uh kind yeah. of thing so uh that is the the layout we're in here so um most recently the raptors were starting emmanuel quickly scotty barnes rj barrett Jakob purtle mm-hmm. and gary trent right yeah okay is that still your starting five yes okay. yeah i don't think that actually changes based on this trade i think you might look in the future to see if you can like put grady in that spot for gary or you might look to see if you want to see how ochai would fit with the starters you might see that but right now i think you give it to gary Okay. Yeah. Um, so let's start with Scotty. Uh-huh. How many minutes is a reasonable, like we're, we're going to go kind of from the top down yeah, here yeah, and, yeah, and start fine. this way. So how many minutes for Scotty Barnes do you think is reasonable? I'm going to say 36. Okay. Yeah. What about uh, IQ and RJ? Quickly, I'm probably going to give him um, probably 30, 34. Okay. Yeah. RJ? RJ, I'm probably going to give like, same number 34 okay yeah. um what about gary gary i like gary in like a 28 kind of range 28 okay and then Jakob. Jakob. probably let's say 30 let's say 30 on the dot 
Okay. Yeah. Um, so why is my sum function not working? There you go. There we go. Uh, okay. So that's this guy, the other sum 41. Yeah. Okay, uh, that's already 162 minutes. That's so fine. you have yeah. 78 minutes left to give to the bench. So four guys at about 20 minutes each. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's where you're starting. Uh, so who is your priority? Actually, let's start at center because I think mm-hmm. that's the easiest one. Is Kelly Olynyk filling all 18 of the other minutes? You gave Jakob 30. Yes. Okay. Especially having, having hearing from uh, Bobby, a lot of the discussion was, you know, the idea of like get him a new piece of stretch five around Scotty. So obviously long term, it's not going to be Kelly in terms of like three, four, five years down the line, but at least does that archetype of player, a stretch five, bring something different out of Scotty? Something I've also been personally curious about as well. So yeah, 18 minutes makes a lot of sense. Okay. Um, so we have, we also have 14 minutes at the point guard position to fill. Yeah. Because Emmanuel quit. Like the three wing positions mm-hmm. will be easy to fill because you can yeah, mix yeah. them. So let's start with the, let's go to the next to the point guard position. Yeah. There are 14 additional minutes there. Yeah. Um, I assume one of the two open roster spots is going to be for a point guard, but it might be like a G League developmental type. So yeah. let's not consider that right now. Marquise Noel is injured, but for the purposes of this exercise, you can use him if you want. Okay. There's also Garrett Temple. Um, Javon Freeman Liberty is kind of a, more of a combo guard. And then you also have Bruce Brown and Scotty Barnes who you can use. And and so you've given Scotty 36 minutes. Are you using some of those where he's the point guard? Yeah, I'm going to option 10 of those minutes. Okay. To Scotty at point guard. So those are going to be, just just move those to the wing or something because yeah, uh, yeah, I'm going to, part of my, what I gave Scotty 36 minutes. Yes. Yeah. I want 10 of those to be at point guard. Okay. So this gives him 26 then on the wing and we'll fill in the other wing minutes uh, last because those, you know, again, those are easier to fill. Uh, so you still have four point guard minutes to fill. Yeah, those can go to Bruce Brown. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I imagine sometimes he'll run point, I suppose. it's that. Uh, yeah, that's more of an accounting purpose. Yes. Uh, okay. So we have 56 minutes still to, to dole out. Okay. We, have, we have six players in the rotation right now. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those minutes are coming on the... The wing or two, three, four. We're not drawing yeah. a difference between two, three, four because the way the Raptors play, those are, are pretty interchangeable. And for this exercise, it's not all that important. Um, who is the next most important player to you to get minutes? And we haven't given any minutes yet to Grady Dick, Oche Abaji, Jordan Wara, Jalen yeah. McDaniels, Chris Boucher, Jonte Porter. Realistically, it's probably going to be Oche. I okay. think from a coach's ahead perspective. Of ahead of Grady. Okay. I mean, he is he's older than Grady. Um, he's ahead of him on the developmental curve. And I think that because this team functionally is just like a little bit weaker on defense and offense, if I've had to guess, a coach will probably be giving Ochai more minutes. So I'm giving him like in 20 minutes, 20 minutes. 20 Let's minutes. Say 20 okay. Minutes. Um, you gave Bruce Brown at four, four minutes at point guard. How many yeah. other minutes is he playing? In this team? Yeah. Um, no, on, on the, the 2025 Clippers. I don't know. Uh, yes, on this team. Hold on. Can we skip that first and go to Grady? Because I feel like it depends on how many minutes I give Grady. Okay, how many yeah. minutes are you giving Grady? I'm giving Grady like a solid 16, 17 minutes right now. Okay, let's go 17. With, with this, the option to scale up and down, but whatever. Yeah, obviously. I mean, on, all on of average, this has yeah. like a guy's cooking yeah, yeah, in the yeah, third yeah. quarter, so he plays more in the fourth. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, so we'll give Grady 17 for right now. How, um, how many minutes do I got left? You have 19 minutes left to give out. So you have only given Bruce Brown four minutes so far. Yeah. And you've given none to Wara, McDaniels, Boucher, Porter, Freeman, Liberty, Temple, Noel. Yeah. Um. So the rotation is already eight deep. Currently as is. Yeah. And so I'm going to give, realistically, the remainder of the minutes go to Bruce Brown. So war is, the, you don't really have minutes for war. Okay. 
Um, so that would be what nineteen there. So he plays twenty three. Yeah. Okay. So this is what your rotation would like would look like. Um, give me one second. Had a hiccup. Sorry. Uh, Scotty Barnes playing thirty six minutes, ten at point guard, mm-hmm. twenty six at you know we, there are zero small ball center minutes anymore. Uh, because Olenek, Kelly, will, Kelly will be the small ball center lineup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and Kelly and Scotty can do some fun yeah, stuff yeah. as like like four or five action or whatever. Uh, Emmanuel quickly playing thirty four minutes. R.J. Barrett playing thirty four. Mm-hmm. Jakob playing thirty. Yep. Gary Trent playing twenty eight. Mm-hmm. Bruce Brown playing twenty three. Four of those at the point guard as the kind of pseudo point guard and bench units. Yeah. The other nineteen coming across the wing positions. Oche playing twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. Kelly Olenek playing 18, yeah. functionally as the backup center, and then Grady playing 17. And then, uh, so that leaves you Wara, McDaniels, Boucher, Jonte, Temple, Noel, and Freeman Liberty, and whatever two new guys they sign yeah, yeah. Uh, with nothing. So this is a nine-man rotation. There are nine guys playing 17 minutes or more, mm-hmm. um, but you have, you know, those other guys who are not in the rotation. You don't yeah, have yeah. a Jordan Wara getting an opportunity. Um, so, you don't have Chris Boucher back in the right. in the mix here. So 10th man-wise, I think if an opportunity does come up, I would like to get War some minutes. Um, I think that the scenario there would be he probably eats out of Gary's plate, probably eats a little bit out of Bruce Brown's plate. Okay. Um, so so why don't I... I don't want it to come out of Grady's okay. budget. So are you... Would you like to, through this exercise, create a few minutes for Jordan War right now? Do you want to do that? I don't... Okay, yeah, or we you, can. But I mean, like, okay, let's do it for the sake of the show. But okay. I do think functionally a nine-man rotation is... Like okay. Probably most reasonable. So Scotty has been averaging 35 minutes. You have been at 36. You want to yeah. take one minute off and give it to Jordan War? Fine. 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 You sound so begrudging about <laughs> no, that. Why do I want less of Scotty, man? I, I want him to play as much as possible. Just, man. But you also want him to be fresh and late in the, the fourth quarter well, and stuff him like fresh that. Fresh for man. We're not making play in. Yeah. Playoffs, like. Well, you won't. Yeah. You want him to be good. Okay. So yeah. um, you have RJ at 34. He's been averaging 34 since yeah. he came over. That seems fine. Uh, you have quickly at 34. He's only been averaging 31 and a half since he came over. Do you want to trim that a little bit? No, I actually want to see quickly play more. Okay. So I think I'm going to keep him as is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you have Jakob at 28. He's been averaging 26 and a half. You want to trim a couple there, or are you good at 28? I mean, that's not going to go to war, so. No, it, it, but, oh, I'm just, as yeah. we're going through it. I sure, actually think fine. a couple of those might go to Kelly. I think it might be more like a like a 26-22 kind of split. Yeah, that's but. fine. Kelly was, what, playing 20 minutes per game with the Jazz? Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, the Jazz although, also had a deeper front court, no doubt. Yeah. Laurie, and, they also yeah, walked. averaging Kessler. 20. Yeah. Um, Okay. Okay. Fine. Yeah, we can we can move those around slightly. Okay. We'll just move them. We've on. so far found one extra minute for Jordan War. This is tough. Yeah. So <laughs> this is why I, I like doing this exercise. Right? Is like you get, you get into sixty seconds of madness. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. So uh-huh. Gary Trent, you have for twenty eight minutes. He I was only a little high. I feel like he was averaging twenty six. So do you want to take a couple of his minutes uh, away? We'll take two more minutes away. Okay. So, sorry, Gary. So okay. You'll still so start though. As long as Gary starts, he's he's great. Uh, if he comes off the bench, he's not going to be useful. But um, yeah, he's still starting in my in my rotation. Okay. Uh, you have Bruce Brown at twenty three. He was averaging twenty six and a half since he got here. So yeah. are you okay leaving him at twenty three? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and then yeah, I mean Oche at twenty, Kelly at twenty, Grady Dick at seventeen. You would have three minutes for Jordan Warrior. Yeah, that's, that's my point. I think that nine man rotation is fine. When okay. there's injuries, other guys will slide in. That's yeah. why he's my tenth guy. So yeah. this is why I like to do this exercise, though, because you see, like, we're definitely going to see questions tonight if the new guys play of, like, why didn't Jordan Moore get a look? You know, it's post-deadline. Dennis is in here. Mm-hmm. Wh- whoever, like, why isn't Jordan Moore? This is why, right? It's right. like, if you add a 10th man to the rotation, you know, maybe you have a little bit of a disgruntled Bruce Brown or, 
you know, there's not enough room for both centers. Yeah. You know, who who knows? Like you say, game to game, this stuff's going to swing. But I do find this to be a helpful exercise because we will get questions tonight. Hey, why didn't Wara play more? Why didn't Chris Boucher play more, right. et cetera? Well, this is part of the impetus behind, you know, potentially trying to move off of some of your current pieces, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, um, I guess we didn't hear much trade rumor about Gary, so we could keep him out of it. Although I think that that could have been a possibility. But, of course, Bruce Brown was discussed so much. And it's like, if you took Bruce out of this situation, all of a sudden you have, like, probably 20 more minutes per game. Well, 20, what, I give him 23? 23. Yeah, yes, we have 23 more developmental minutes per game to so spread Brady around. bumps up to 20. Jordan Norris maybe getting 12. Yeah. You know. You know, Ochai is getting a little bit more time as well. So, uh, of course, not all development needs to happen on the court. I feel yeah. like that's something that, uh, you know, I have to say every year. But, yeah, I mean. You know, otherwise you have Bruce, and you're not you're not going to just not use him. So no. he's he's better than a lot of the other guys. And like, look, I, I get that there will be people who you know have a who want to tank or want to see the young guys. Or like Bruce Brown's 27, and if you have if there is even a one percent chance that you would want to pick up the option and keep him next year because you want to be good again next year, you think he will have more value at the deadline or whatever. You don't want to like immediately disgruntle a guy by being like, mm. "Hey, you're in the prime of your career. We don't want you to play." That's not. And Bobby yeah. basically said as much yesterday. He was like, "Like we need to see these guys together. They're not. They've been very straightforward that like they know they don't control their pick. And even if you, even if you, like look at the reverse standings right now, you're not bottoming out more than one more spot. Yeah, you're just exactly. not catching the team. Like Charlotte, San Antonio, Detroit, mm-hmm. and Washington are not winning 18 games this year. Right. They're just not going to do it. So you can maybe maybe catch Portland, but even that feels uh, a little unlikely. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Okay, so that's what the rotation looks like. And obviously, guys will be in yeah. and out. Guys will get some more minutes. Is, um, is there a different way you would have wanted to do this? Like anything that sticks out broadly? No, not really. Um, okay. You know, I, I I would probably, like, just for the sake of seeing more guys, I might trim a little bit off of, um, a little bit off of RJ and Gary and, and maybe even get Bruce Brown to, like, 22 or something like that just to, just to get a look at another. But... Not really. Like, yeah. I think this is pretty reasonable. Okay. Um, nice. You know, your young guys are playing the most. The only the only spot in the rotation where you're like, well, that's a little bit old for that position is center, but you are heavily invested in Jakob Pertl yeah, and I mean, Kelly Olenek. And those guys, I think, will really help the other. Like, we've seen how much Pertl helps everyone else when he's back healthy. I think Kelly Olenek will do that for the bench units as well because he's just yeah. like, he's such a good offensive organizer mm-hmm. and just like, sees and thinks the game at such a high level like like again to go back to the yeah. jante thing like when he came up i was like yeah you could you gotta hope he could be like a poor man's kelly olenic right. stylistically with the the iq and the passing and stuff like that um you know jante's kicking himself he's like damn i had clear backup minutes and now i don't yeah but i mean you got your back's gonna spasm your back's gonna spasm okay uh, right. also like the 905 could really use him uh, that's not what he's trying to hear right now no it's not that. but but that is probably a part of the plan for Jonte Porter now that like, I, yeah, I think it's, I was always part of the plan yeah. for sure. It's helpful to have him around Kelly Olenek, another guy for him to learn, for, learn from and stuff. Oh yeah. Wasn't um, Darko calling him a uh, Thad young junior at some point. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, he's around Thad so much. Thad's in his ear. They're both lefties. They both jump the same vertical somehow. <laughs> Postage stamp vertical. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I think yeah. that's good for him. I think he'll probably see some more uh, 905 time. And obviously, right. we, we didn't find a way to create minutes for Marquise and Javon Fearman Liberty, even with only one true point guard on the roster here. Mm-hmm. Maybe that changes. Um, my other question <laughs> that this is not rotation related because I doubt they're going to sign people to these spots that come in and play minutes uh, unless... Kyle decides he doesn't want to compete. He just wants to come home. Um, I don't come on home, buddy. Yeah, I don't think that's likely. But uh, for our There's purposes, not. that'd be just fine. Um, 
They <laughs> Dude, have, I'll, I'll, I'll blow up the entire rotation for yeah. Kyle Lowry, man. They 40 have, minutes for Kyle. <clears throat> they have um, two open roster spots now. Yeah, yeah. They have two weeks to fill the first one. I think they'll move more quickly than that. But with the all-star break ahead, like mm-hmm. maybe maybe they just chill and, and talk to some guys and look at, I don't know. Like they could sign Justice Winslow to a 10-day, call him up for Mississauga. Basically, even yeah, just to like give him a little bonus. Like they've got so much room under the tax now that they could, even if you didn't even care to see them play, like Justice Winslow, mm-hmm. Mo Gay, hey, we appreciate what you did with the 905 this year. Come up, get a 10-day. And that's it. While we figure out who we want. Aside from that, though. Be a classy thing to do, for sure. Yeah. I I would love to see Justice Winslow up tonight. Like, just, hey, here's, you know, the 80K that you make off a 10-day contract. Mm. Uh, thanks for being a good vet and a good 80K leader. 80K for down. 10 days. Damn. I mean, it might even be higher than that, given Justice Winslow's uh, service time. Like, it's mm. like, it's 58K if you are a rookie and mm. get a 10-day. So, someone in Justice's like position getting, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, with those two spots. We just went through this exercise and looked at the depth chart. Am I right to assume you would like one of those spots to be used on a point guard who you could at least get in the system and see a little bit, see what's there developmentally and, and insurance in case, you know, like what would this all look like if a man quickly like missed the game right now? I mean, you would get Scotty a point finally, which uh, yeah. I suppose you could also just intentionally do. Also, like, uh, yeah. there's no reason that, like, if you want to see more of it, Emmanuel quickly could, like, play the de facto two-guard offensively totally. and just yeah. be the point guard offensively or defensively. Um, a point guard prospect, I mean, sure, I guess. Yeah, I think uh, you already have Javon, so I feel like he probably is, like, it's hard to just bring in somebody He's off- not really a point guard, though. I, yeah, I Like, know, he's more of like, a slasher, cutter, offensive rebound. Tra- like, he's a, he's good. I, I've been mm-hmm. very clear. I like yeah, Javon Freeman Liberty. Um, but he is, like, he's, like, a combo guard um, at – at furthest uh, like Got like you. he's a point guard because of size he's a combo guard by skill set i mean look we're talking about the what 14th and 15th like spots yeah. on the roster i think for me i would love to see a pipeline like just a, another big in, in the okay. developmental pipeline yeah I was. I want to start there the fact i'm very encouraged by the fact that they got jante in and i'm like mm-hmm. i'm actually okay with jante being like a third stringer next year yeah. and maybe with the option to get up to a backup position if he really breaks out like you know, I, I like that. And, you know, the fact that they already got that in the door, I feel like it just, you know, another one would be nice. Yeah, maybe like a shot-blocking version, like an athletic... I guess he blocks shots too, but... Yeah, not know. the not the same way. Yeah, not the same way. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, he's more like a ground-bound, the swipe steel block type and just like being sound positionally. Yeah. Um, we did this exercise when Yak first got hurt. It's pretty bleak at the big man position in the G League right now. Like the, okay. the a name toward the top of my list was like Trey Jamison, who's starting at center for the Grizzlies now. Oh, um, great! Uh, yeah, like that's that. It, it's a little thinner at center than other positions. That's uh, historically I mean, the case in the G League, especially with the third two way spot now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it probably makes sense to uh, yeah. to give someone a look. Um, do you have just because I've got asked this a lot on Twitter? I will What's ask you with one of those open roster spots. Do you have any sort of interest in kicking the tires on Killian Hayes? What, what are we doing? I mean, no. I feel like, okay, first of all, you know, I didn't realize this, but, like, after all trade deadline happened yesterday, I'm like, after the after we went off air at four, just sat at the office, put my legs up, and I was just like, all right, man, like, let me, let me scroll, like, social media for a while. So I opened up, like, NBA Reddit, and, like, the number one uploaded thing was Killian Hayes got waived. And I was like, what? Like, why has he become this big of a meme? Wait, that was on Raptors Reddit? No, or no, just on, Reddit just in general. Okay. NBA Reddit. Yeah, yeah. I was like, the number one item is 
does two people actually care this much about Killian Hayes? But I, I suppose he's become like the the meme for a bad player. So yeah, he was also like the number seven pick in his wave before the end of his rookie deal. Like that yeah. doesn't happen a lot. James Buchnight got waived yesterday too. Just yeah. I, I'm not advocating for that. I'm just saying in terms of lottery picks getting waived. Like this is uh like, like you could take a flyer on certain guys. Yeah. Like, but I mean, I don't know if Killian Hayes is the option for me, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Just wanted to ask you because we got to ask the question a lot. Do you, it's, it's, do you want Killian Hayes? No. I, I would prefer a good player in that spot. Um, look, what, would, <laughs> Enough I, said. Enough said. would I find my way to, hey, of course the Raptors like a six foot five mm-hmm. French point guard. Like you could understand it. Um, we have four years of a lot of tape of Killian Hayes not being good. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm Somehow sorry. Somehow still but... only 22 though. Yeah. Well, I think part, maybe, yeah. So this is the thing. So I had 10.4 thousand upvotes. Wow. You know, um, does that make you feel good or does that make you feel awful as Killian Hayes? That makes me feel awful, man. I mean, okay, you're I the, he's like become a meme player. I thought maybe I mean, it was like, bad, like people like, people are interested in you. No, no. It means people are very interested in how bad you are. It's like when Russell Westbrook for a while became a meme player. But at least with Westbrook, it was like, okay, he was formerly gray and then he like fell off and, you know, was in a Lakers ecosystem, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like the profile was big. Like this is just like a meme player because he sucked. Yeah, so, it's tough. This yeah. is like... You know, you don't see lottery picks waived on the rookie contracts. This is like George Papagiannis. Yeah. Uh, back in the uh, before the Kings became respectable. By the way, the, the Pistons, your Pistons, another win last night. Yeah. Yeah. They're I'm telling they're, you, man, it up. might not be the number thirty-one pick. Damn. It might be thirty-two or thirty-three. I wanted Mark Tatum to say our name first. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we're gonna take another break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new chunky spicy soup. When we come back, let's check in with Sarah Todd about the new players coming in from Utah. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Lou, joined by co-host Blake Murphy. Balmy, balmy, 10-degree day in Toronto. What's going on, man? It's February. This is not right. Anyway, um, for segment three, we have joining us on the show, Sarah Todd, Deseret News and host of Unsalvageables, and also Blake Roden here, 2022 Utah Sports Writer of the Year. So, well, I guess I guess congratulations. That's it's it's right. only 2024, but... Uh, yeah, Sarah, thanks well, for joining us. Well, she can't win program. 2024 Sports Writer of the Year here on February 9th, man. I Sarah, mean, what's up? It's already 10 degrees. <laughs> I don't know what anything's possible. Hey, 2024 is still in play for me. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, so obviously we wanted to bring you in because you cover the Jazz and the Raptors made a big trade with, uh, well, big, relatively big trade with, with Utah, bringing in Ochai Baji, bringing in uh, Kelly Olenek. Maybe we'll start with Ochai because we have heard a lot of really good things from. You know, Bobby Webster spoke uh, the Raptors GM yesterday about Ochai, his character, hard worker, easy guy to work with, good for the culture. We'll start there. We'll, what what are we getting in Ochai Abaji as the person, first and foremost? As a person, Ochai is as good as they come. I mean, he's he's such a good kid. I mean, that he's, you know, <laughs> not a child, but they're all kids to me at this point. <laughs> but he's a really, really nice guy. He really, really cares a lot. He is so dedicated he's really really athletic i mean like uh, an example is you know last year in his rookie season he came in and i mean he's 
absolutely like a jacked guy, totally ripped. And then he comes in uh, for summer league this year, and it, it looked like he had 0% body fat. And I was like, what, what is this guy doing? Like, how much more did you need to condition yourself? You were already, like, the most athletic guy on the team. And he just, like, really, really cares. He's constantly working, total gym rat. Uh, and like I said, I mean, like, he's a really good person, a family guy. I mean, he's, he's really sweet. His girlfriend got him a cat for Christmas. So, like, that's oh, the kind yeah. of person that we're talking about. Uh, I'm 100% sold. Sorry. Yeah. Like, go ahead. You don't need to apologize. <laughs> I'm a cat guy as well. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, Sarah, do we know the cat's name? Raza. Raza. Raza Abaji. All right. Um, okay, so so that's that's, that's Oche as a as a okay. person. Um, now, there's obviously an element to this where Utah decided he's not someone that they want to continue investing in developmentally. Now, I know they picked up a first. Um, they picked up Otto Porter and, and Kyra Lewis as well. Um, but to me, this maybe says something about where Abaji is in his development here, uh, halfway into his second season. What can you tell us about where that development has maybe stalled or, or where Utah decided, hey, may, maybe it's time to give someone else a shot and get another pick in-house instead? Yeah, I don't, I don't actually want to scare Raptors fans at all oh. about that because – I don't think it's necessarily a case of, like, the Jazz didn't want him anymore. I think that, you know, when you're getting rid of a guy that's 34 and you also want a first-round pick, you have to give up something else that's good. And so, like, that's that's the way of, you know, if I was a Raptors fan and I was looking at it, I would be like, well, they had to give us something. And the Jazz didn't have a ton of young players that have, like, a lot of upside. On their roster, you know, you could look at Keontae George, Taylor Hendricks, but I think they're probably higher in the pecking order than Ochai was for the Jazz right now. And so, like, I don't think it's it's a bad thing that they moved off of him. I think that that was kind of – it might have been even a little bit of a sticking point and that they didn't love getting rid of him, but they knew that they had to in order to get what they wanted out of the trade. Uh, and so, oh, sorry, if, go ahead. If we're – sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to ask as a follow-up that. Can, can you give us kind of – you know, we, we've dug into the tape and tried to give people a, an impression of his game, but you watch him every single game. Where is he at uh, developmentally here, you know, midway through his, his second season? Obviously, you know, a, lo- a long time at Kansas. People who are fans of college basketball got to know his game pretty pretty well, pretty well at the highest levels there, um, but maybe haven't been a, as tuned into the Jazz day-to-day. Where is he at, as a player right now? Yeah, I think it was a bit of a transition for him from college to the NBA. I mean, as so many of these like top level college players are like if you take them and you put them on a team and you put them in a position of like a role player who's not going to have the ball in their hands a lot that's a huge huge difference from how they work is like most of the guys that get drafted they're the guy their whole life right and so I think that that was a difficult transition for Ochai to come to the Jazz and be like you're going to be kind of a spot-up guy and we need you to really focus on things on the defensive end and in that role Ochai has success has succeeded. He's excelled on the defensive side. He's become a really, really good transition defender. And that's not something that he was in college or high school or at any point. It's something that he developed to try to stand out on the NBA floor in a more limited role. And so, I mean, you guys are going to love that. The transition, like the chase down blocks that he has, the timing that he has, like as a help defender, it it is really, really good. And so that's what you guys are really going to like. He's in a little bit of a shooting slump right now, but maybe the change is going to kind of get him out of that. 
as a low volume shooter, it's hard to shoot yourself out of a slump. It takes more time. And so offensively, I wouldn't be very worried about Ochai and what you're getting is someone who has incrementally gotten better on defense. And like, if you were talking to someone else who maybe like cares about some of the offensive limits of his game, that they might be a little bit lower on Ochai, but like if you're looking for someone who can be a role player and who's young and is going to last and be there for the future, if you guys are like moving through a rebuild, Ochai is a great player to have. So that is a, an interesting developmental piece as the, as the Raptors rebuilt here. The other part of this trade is Kelly Olynyk, who as the Jazz were maybe not traditionally rebuilding, you know, we'll talk in a little bit about the Jazz side of this and where they are now versus you know, where you thought they'd be at the, at the start of the year. But Kelly Olenek, by all accounts, has been a helpful piece as a culture setter in Utah and as a kind of style and system setter as an extension of Will Hardy as that um, backup centerpiece on the court. How big has Kelly's role been in Utah and how, you know, what can, I mean, everyone in Canada knows Kelly's on-court game really, really well, but what can the Raptors expect uh, if they are asking him to, you know, play a similar on and off-court leadership role to the one he played in Utah the last little while? Yeah, I mean, the first point is that, you know, I know that people in Canada are absolutely familiar with mm-hmm. Kelly's on-court game, but that's actually a big, big piece of him being able to be a culture setter in kind of a real rebuilding situation because uh, jazz head coach, Will Hardy, he would often say that Kelly is so good at so many things that it's really easy to take him for granted because when you're trying to develop other guys and you need someone that's just going to adapt to any role, you can put him in any position, he can shoot, he can space, he can pass, you know, he, he, he's able to kind of be the Swiss army knife that like is the connective tissue to everything else you're trying to do on the team. Like, that is so helpful when you're trying to build up young guys and trying to rebuild a team when you just have a guy that you can plug in to do anything you need. And then on top of that, like as a, as like a locker room guy, you, you can talk to anyone on any one of the teams that he's been on, you know, like following his time in Boston, being in Detroit for a really short time. Everyone there will say it. Um, in Houston, I mean, Steven Silas will, will tell you also, like, having someone there that you know is going to be even keeled and that people in the locker room are going to respect. And he, he, he's not an introverted guy and he knows how to use his voice with young players and, and build trust really quickly. Like it is, he's exactly the type of guy that you need in those situations. So it sounds, Sarah, like the Utah Jazz will be worse today without Kelly Olynyk, And they also traded away Abaji and Simone Fontecchio. And they only really brought in Otto Porter Jr., who wasn't playing for the Raptors. And who knows, could be a bio candidate or maybe he plays some bench 3 and D minutes for them. Uh, and, and Kyra Lewis Jr., who you know, has mostly spent this year in the G League. Um, when you look at this from... The Jazz perspective, now I know that they only keep their pick if it's in the top 10, but they're also around the play-in mix in the Western Conference. Um, what are they? What did they try to do here directionally? I know Fontecchio, you know, do a new contract and things like that, um, but it does seem from outside like they are okay sliding out of that play-in position. Is that a fair read on these moves? Yeah, absolutely. You're reading it correctly. Like you say, the Jazz are worse off today. They absolutely are, and I think that was the intention. And so, I mean, if you're looking at it uh, just in, like, who won the trade, like the Toronto Raptors got the better pieces. And so that that is not a doubt. The, but I think that was the intention. And so the Jazz are going to feel like that they did what they wanted in this move because, you know, if you if, – 
if you make the play in, if you like don't drop out and you win a play in game and you don't the the pick is you know out of the top ten, then that's going that's going to the Thunder. And so it's if you if you keep the top ten pick, and I I think that that's what the Jazz do is they don't want the pick to convey to OKC. They want the pick this year, and. That's a that's a philosophical, I guess, question. I don't hmm. know that I fully agree with it this year. It's very hard for me to see a team with Lowry Markman and him, you know, rising and ascending and the Jazz being one of the hottest teams over the last month and a half in the NBA and to think that they just want to let that go away. Um, but, you know, that's why I'm not getting paid GM money, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're having a similar debate here in Toronto just in terms of convey now or maybe – I guess be competitive is really off the table for the Raptors. Unfortunately, um, you know, not, it's not like the Jazz. But um, I want to ask just two more random questions about Kelly Olynyk. So for me, I was watching, you know, as you you get a new player in the roster and you go through his video and I'm looking through Kelly Olynyk's assists. And I'm just always seeing him post up around the right, like the left, um, like basically at the break, right? At the three-point line break. And he's always there. And I, I swear this is like half of his assists or just playmaking at that exact spot. It feels like this is a consistent set that Utah always runs with Kelly in that position to playmake. Obviously, there's off-ball screens on the other side and lots of options. But can you just walk me through why I'm seeing a version of that assist like every other assist in Kelly's uh, assist highlight reel? Yeah, I think, you know, some of that, like, that facilitating out of that, like, off the uh, on the break kind of area, it's kind of like if you're looking at it as, like, uh, how, you know, 10 years ago, like, guys, Kelly Linux guys were facilitating, like, from the elbow all the time, right? right? Like, not even that long ago. And so if you just, like, extend that out a little bit and you think about, like, the shooting that teams have and the Jazz, you know, really, really were trying to emphasize space. And so if they could use some, like, interior, interior off-ball screens and loosen guys up, whether it's inside or outside, and they shoot out to the three-point line, like, and then worst case scenario, right? Like Kelly is at that point and he can either do his very slow and weird, which I'm sure you guys are so familiar with, like his slow yeah. drive, pivot, pivot, weird finger roll and somehow always works for him. Like he's able to do it from that spot and move inside or like he's a great shooter too. And so if you put him in that space, all options are available to him. And, and so I think that, you know, when Kelly's on the floor, that just puts the Jazz in a really good position because they have the shooters available and because they were working with a lot of, like, back cuts on off-ball screens, too. Mm-hmm. It's just a nice, like, visual place to have him. You just have to imagine it as, like, elbow extended out, really. That makes a lot of sense. I appreciate the explanation. Um, the other question, also super random about Kelly Olenek. So, how often, A, how often do you see him wearing a snapback? And how many snapbacks <laughs> does he have at his locker or, like, on his personal at all times? Yeah, I I think that there was uh we were talking to him about it, I think it was last year, like asking him like how many there was that he had like in general and he said some crazy number like eight hundred. What? And oh. like, all right, well that's too many. <laughs> okay. So I, w- I was watching a jazz game last week and someone said one of the broadcast I can't remember is the the play by player color said that on a road trip he will bring twenty hats with him on a road trip. So you're telling me he's the PJ Tucker but with snapbacks instead of shoes. Yeah. Absolutely. They hundred percent I mean we're not we're not talking about like just like when you see him after a game or in public or yeah. whatever whatever during practice like a full <laughs> full speed five on five practice Kelly Olynyk wears a snapback 
All right. I'm so happy. It's like Dennis with the beanie, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Also, I got to stop outing myself as on an off night. I was watching Utah Jazz games. I got to stop. It's okay. Utah plays great basketball. Actually, Sarah, let me ask you. How come if this is what the Jazz were doing and this is direction, I couldn't get my guy Chris Dunn in a trade? I mean, listen, if you've got a guy like Chris Dunn and he's playing on a minimum contract and you think that you can get to re-sign him, like, why would you trade that one away? For me. For, for me personally. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, in, in seriousness, Sarah, I want to round back to something that you, you said a little earlier. And, um, you know, you, you said that you don't necessarily agree with the Jazz bowing out of this play and position if, if that's how this ends up going. And, and I did read your piece, so I'm, I'm setting you up for a question I already know your answer for. But um, <laughs> the culture risk here with the back-end roster churn, when you come into the season and guys think it's maybe going to be a push for a playoffs, and then while you're in a playoff spot, you sell off. When you're not a free agent destination like Utah is, um, what, where, where do your concerns lie here? Like, where are the risks in this being a part of your culture as you build back up? Yeah, I mean, if you, if you think about just role player guys, right? Like, if you think about the Simone Fontecchios, the Kelly Olenek, and the Ochayabajis of the world, like the guys that are getting traded off just so the Jazz might be able to get a top 10 pick in a draft that's not that great, if we're being honest. Like, if, if that's the message and you're already not – the Jazz are not getting a top-tier free agent to just, like, sign up and come to Utah. That is not happening. They have a better chance of getting role-player free agents to come in and, like, for a couple of years. But if those role-players look at Utah and they're like, well, if you don't convey the pick this year, you've got to convey it next year. What if you just decide to sell dudes off the trade deadline and then you end up in Detroit or you get stuck on a team that's playing for the draft and not going to prioritize wins and they sit Lowry down for 12 of the last 13 games of the season. Colin Sexton's out at the end of the season. And, you know, Jordan Clarkson's out the last 11 of 12 games of the season so that you can make sure you get into the lottery. Like, is that the team that I'm going to? That's not the team that guys want to be on. And so – you know, there are there is a certain amount of that that you can sell basketball players on. Like, stick with us through this rough point. I know that you want to play and you want to win, but things are going to be better next year or things are going to be better at this point. But I don't know that the Jazz have clearly defined to anyone when the light at the end of the tunnel will be. And so that I think that's just a very precarious situation, especially when you have someone like Lowry Markkinen who you want to, you know, renegotiate his contract maybe and and get an extension with him, like, is he going to sign up for more losing? Because he's never made the playoffs, and he is entering his prime right now. He's breaking out. And so I, w- I would just worry that if you do this any more than this year, that you risk losing, guys. Yeah, it's a it's a tough one, and you know, I, I was going to ask you next, what is next for the the Jazz as they build back up here? And I think a lot of that centers around Larry Markin and, and their draft capital and things like that. Um, but I think that that's a pretty natural place to, you know, the Jazz are in not a similar spot to the Raptors spiritually, um, and, and you know, the reasoning behind these moves. But in terms of where you are in the standings and what challenges that imposes as you take your next steps, um, certainly. Last one though, Sarah, for before I let you go, you were covering the 76ers. Not that long ago, you were, you know, here in Toronto a bunch during the the Raptors championship run, where the Raptors defeated the 76ers on the way to winning the NBA championship. Um, were you? Are you surprised? Like, I know you moved to Utah to to cover the Jazz. We all have to have to be flexible. Are you surprised that 
you're back to covering like a pretty interesting, pretty solid and maybe good soon team. Like, I, I feel like you were ready for a rebuild as well, but now you're covering one of the more interesting teams. The NBA never surprises me, right? Like, <laughs> before I was covering the Sixers, I was covering the Warriors in the years and including leading up to the 2015 championship. That was the last year that I covered them was the first year of, like, the dynasty area. And so, you know, covering them for a couple of years and, like, going up to that, that, that cyclical nature in the NBA does not surprise me. And I always tell people, Covering bad basketball for me is just as good as covering good basketball. Like I will go and watch a JV high school game. I don't care what kind of basketball I'm watching. And so if you're, these are all like the best basketball athletes in the entire world. And so like, there's a million things to think about. If you're covering like a a team that's playing against a championship team, like the Raptors and the the game ends on like the quadruple doink Kawhi shot, like, (laughs) The emotion after that, the team that's losing, that's great to cover. If you're covering a championship team led by an MVP like Steph Curry, that's also a great team to cover. Like, I'll do it all. I don't care. Mm. Well, this is sick of me to do this, but uh, what was that locker room like? Because for the Philadelphia side in 2019, because I I think a lot of people here in Toronto knew what the locker room was like in Toronto's locker room. But I guess, yeah, I never checked in on what happened in the other one. Yeah, it's. You know, I think a lot of people know and talk about the emotion of someone like Joel Embiid, right, in in the locker room after that. I think that's really obvious. Like, of course, the best player yeah, on course. that team is going to be emotional and, like, having that kind of a crushing loss when you can kind of see, like, you know, you're you're right there and you're almost good enough to get over the hump. Like, that's really hard. For me, what was most interesting was actually J.J. Redick. And, like... Okay seeing a guy that you could tell was very close to the end of his career. And like, this might be the last team that he could have a chance to maybe be on a title run with. And like, he was very emotional and you could tell that the weight of like, I just might not get there. Like it's not in my career plans. Like that was all setting in all at one time. And, and he was very emotional. And, and then, you know, I, Brett Brown only lasted like another year after that. Like he was walking out of that arena, basically like saying goodbye to everyone. He thought he was probably going to get fired that year. Like there was just so much going on. And it was, you know, Joel Embiid is one thing, but like he had his whole career ahead of him. Like he was MVP last year, right? Like the best was still ahead of him. And it was for the people that maybe their best wasn't ahead of them. That, that was the most, the hardest to watch. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. That was, that was that's a great answer. So I appreciate you, Sarah, for joining us on the show. And, um, yeah, we will we'll look forward to asking Kelly Olenek about snapbacks. I can't wait to get him in an interview and ask him about his yeah, favorite no snapback. Yeah, no problem at all. I, I also, uh, Ochai is really uncomfortable if you talk to him about, like, thirsty TikToks that girls make about him. Oh. So that's also oh. fun. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's clearly one of the most handsome players in the league. It's yeah. The, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, I would. I was not intending to ask him about that. I will uh, look so into those. Hilarious, though. You should. <laughs> okay. Those are two great leads to go off of. Sarah, I appreciate you. Yeah, no problem. Anytime, guys. There you go. Damn, I was a sicko for asking what was the Sixers locker room like. Yeah. Yeah. That's I just fine. I'm like, yeah. Tell me how. Tell me how devastated these guys were. Yeah, these guys who. That stupid little dribble handoff with JJ and Embiid that caused so much torment for me for two weeks. Yeah, tell me how, tell me how devastated their their emotional handoff was. Afterwards. Yeah, it's going to be a minute <laughs> before there's another yeah. uh, another feeling like that here. So let's relive uh, 
let's relive uh, the the good old days. The thing about the old days, nah, nah, uh, they're still they're still ours. I'm just I'm just sick like that, you know. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, good leads, and and honestly, like just looking forward to getting to know these guys as people. That's a, that's a big part of the job as well. It's just like, I mean, of course, we watch them as basketball players. They're not TV characters. They're real real life people, and one of the nice privileges that we have as reporters is we actually get to know them personally. And sure, we've all both talked to Kelly uh, a fair bit, but getting to know Ochai a little bit as well, getting to know, I mean, the fact that Kelly has 800 snapbacks, I'm sorry, like that one is just, that's blowing my mind. As someone who like has a head too big to, to snap anything back onto, um, <laughs> the concept of someone having 800 hats is, is impossible. I had maybe three hats total and they're all toques. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm. I have hats. I'm not a big snapback guy. I like the 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 uh, the like flex fit. A flex fit. Yeah, I got a weird shaped <laughs> uh, that's, head. Uh, that's what, so what um, happened when you bought you let me your headphones over this week? I yeah, had well, that's a, that's that a flex too. no longer fit. Uh, is what that uh, what that one is. Okay, um, we're gonna take our last break then. That's that's cool with you. Uh, I've been your host, yeah, Willow. Cool, very cool with me, man. Uh, you've been listening to the Rap to Show on the Sports Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Blue. Last segment of the week, me and Blake Murphy, uh, we have come to the spot where we talk, you know, about our favorite subject, Fred Van Lee. You know, it's unavoidable. Fred Van Lee comes back. To Toronto today. Unfortunately, he's unable to play. Uh, he is he's he's at sideline with injury, but he is in the building. He did take the time to speak with reporters pregame um, and just kind of reflected on a couple of things. So we wanted to just sort of bring you some of those uh, some of those clips. But before we do that, we also want to let you know that so the Canada women's basketball team is tough one day. and one so far in their Olympic qualifying tournament. As you mentioned, tough day because they really just could have clinched today. If not for, I believe, a seven-point fourth quarter. It was a really tough game. They fell down like 11 nothing right away to Spain, fought back, came back, and then the Spain came back, and then they fought back. And it was like, honestly re- reminding me exactly of when the men's qualified. It was also against Spain. They were down double digits, and, you know, they had some great efforts. But How'd that one end, though? Yeah, that was different. That was awesome. That was the paradigm shift. I can't wait for that one. So uh, the big but, wrinkle, yeah. So the big, yeah. So Canada could have punched their ticket to the Olympics with a win there. And the table looked a certain way at the end of that game. But Hungary beat Japan yeah, today. It's a big shock, I think. It, it, at least a moderate shock. Now, Hungary's the home team. They're the host team. So, like, maybe maybe you give them a, a little bit of a, you know, you anticipate them pulling off an upset or whatever. But what we now have heading into Sunday's final day is a table where all four teams are one-on-one and three teams qualify for the Olympics. So, obviously, the two games Sunday, which are Canada against Japan and Hungary against Spain. Yep the winners move on. If Canada were to lose that game, though, they're then watching the Hungary-Spain game and I believe rooting for Spain to win since Canada beat Hungary. Right. Um, but the big thing is, like, you control your destiny here by winning your in against Japan. Yeah. And, of course, you can tune into that. Uh, so Canada will play Japan at 8.50 a.m. Eastern uh, on Sportsnet. Yes. And if Canada wins, the women qualify to join the men at the Olympics in mm-hmm. Paris. 2024. And, and if they don't, you watch Spain against Hungary and uh, and hope for, I believe I have this scenario right, where uh, yeah. yeah, they would want Spain to win so that they have the tiebreaker against yes. Hungary. This is Sunday. 
This is Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Uh, ben Schulman and Miranda Aim on the call. Mm. Danielle Michaud and Sherman Hamilton uh, in the booth uh, or in the, the studio rather. So there you go. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty big one. Oh, it's a big one. There's, there's no doubt. I might not even watch EPL on Sunday morning for the first time in three, four months. I'm oh, not. what a long sport. Got to get up and watch basketball. Got to watch a Super Bowl. Got to watch uh, the NBA uh, afternoon games on Sunday. What a terrible life. I may or may not tune into the Super Bowl, but I, I will be there for Usher's halftime performance. I cannot wait. You don't understand how big, Usher. Usher, don't understand how big of an Usher fan I am, man. Love Usher. I mean, I understand. I understand because like all time. All yeah, time. Yeah, he's great. Um, all time. I do understand how big a fan you are because you completely just hand wave like the Super Bowl away. You're like, ah, oh, I'm in there for Usher. Like, I, I get it. You're not a football fan. I'm I'm not like a NFL hardcore. But like yeah, the yeah, Super Bowl yeah. is like no, as no, much no. a pop culture event as I'll watch. As uh, is there any hoops on that weekend? There are only two games on Sunday, <laughs> uh, and they're at two and three p.m. Boston, Miami, and OKC Sacramento. Ooh. Uh, they're on at two o'clock and three o'clock. So you Damn. could you Boston, could structure this as a whole uh, a whole yeah. day, not leaving the couch, man. I mean, honestly, unless it's 10 degrees outside, I think I'm totally cool with watching a bunch of sports in the wintertime. It might be, man. Climate change, yeah. I, I don't... Ooh, King's Thunder, too. Ah, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what mm. month or temperature it is anymore, ever. Mm, that, some of that is just, like, the job and, and just me yes. in general, not understand, not knowing what's going on, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, happy Lunar New Year to everybody, all right? You know, you're the dragon, you know what I mean? That's not me. You're the monkey, but it'll be my turn in five more years? Wow. Only, no, four more years. Damn. Getting old, but um, yeah, happy uh, you're the dragon to everyone who celebrates. Um, anyway, talking about the Houston Rockets. So Fred VanVleet has returned, and unfortunately, he's not going to play. He did speak to media, like I mentioned, and we have some clips for you. So here's the first clip from Fred VanVleet just talking about the Raptors' new direction in terms of the rebuild. Yeah, that's really the only way it was ever going to go. You know, it was just kind of like a matter of when. Um, I think kind of once you set off on that timeline and on that trajectory, like this is what it looks like. And it's hard for, you know, people that are fans of the team or follow the team and people on the team that, you know, were heavily invested in that group. But, um, yeah, I think it was time to turn over a new leaf. And, you know, I think they're making all the right moves to head in the direction that they want to go in. And, um yeah, I mean, I, I again, that's really the only way it was going to go. It's the only way it was going to go. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was the only way it was going to go. Like, Bobby just told us that they came into this year and thought if it went, you know, a, a better way competitively, and part of the reason to sign a guy like Dennis and, mm-hmm. and you know, not trade OG and Pascal in the offseason was to uh, was to give it a time. Um, th- but, yeah, I mean, like, look, there were only three players on this roster today who were on the roster before the deadline last year. Like this is That's a wild. This is a monster, and That's it's wild. it's Boucher who yeah he's gonna be here forever. <laughs> he's I, the last guy from the championship. I hope team. so. Someone called him a, a Putin um, Udonis Haslam, and I feel like it's a little early to make him UD status. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I don't mind that. I like having Chris. I like Chris. Man. Yeah, I, everyone likes Chris. Yeah. Man, Jamal McGlure was the assistant coach on this team for like ten years after he stopped playing. Yeah, Chris, um, Chris was so nice. He's like, oh, you want to do a live show? Yeah, I'll come. I will. Yeah. I will be at your live show. Me, a whole NBA player. Also, the we'll other difference between a little podcast. So I yeah. appreciate you, Chris. The difference between Chris and UD and late career Jamal McClure is Chris is still a useful NBA player. Too. That's what I mean. That's it's a little too early for that. Maybe yeah. in ten years, Chris is still around. Then he's actually yeah, uh, Putin Poppy, I suppose in this case. Um, yeah, but yeah, the rebuild. Uh, you know, I guess this was the other option, and the Raptors are in that timeline right now, and. One would argue you can do it earlier, whatever. Just, I don't know. I, I, this is all hand-wringing over the past because they've already picked their direction. So they picked a different direction. Fred is in a different place. He's in Houston. He talked about his new role and his fit in Houston. 
Well, uh, I think I'm just in a better situation now to be myself, you know what I mean? Whereas what, what I bring to the table was what they needed at the time, you know what I mean? So it's nothing really more than that. Uh, these guys wanted a leader. They needed a leader. They needed kind of what I bring to the table and what I provide. And so it's been a perfect fit. Okay. So that's quite similar to what we heard from Kelly Eco last week mm-hmm. when we talked, uh, when the Raptors played the Houston Rockets. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just the idea of Fred sort of going to a place where it fits more of his skill set. Like, there's more of a need. I guess there's an open invitation for him to lead. Do you feel like that invitation was here? I mean, he clearly thinks not. And the Raptors moving on Is that, is that on what we should that? read from the subtext? I think so. And, okay. like, if right. you go back and read Michael Grange's um, article from, from when they were in Houston uh, and, and caught up and he caught up with him, you know, Fred gets into a little bit of the – like, hey, maybe he didn't do like like he took some accountability for it as well. It's like maybe he didn't do as good a job as he he could have done with that dynamic. But like, it's pretty clear based on the way things have gone at the end of last year, and like at the time, it felt more like it was on the coaching staff side. But we had heard some friction points throughout the year, and then obviously Fred moves on, and now Pascal and OG aren't here. Um, you know, there is a there's been a huge huge change in the leadership dynamic and the type and style of voice and actually like it's one of the it would be one of the more interesting things to track down the stretch here is like who are the leaders on this team what does that dynamic look like because like that and Otto are gone who mm-hmm. were at least partially supposed to be that Dennis is gone who was supposed to be an extension of Darko um Pascal OG and Fred are gone who were the like guys who were expected to have the you know organizational continuity to carry over the culture um it really is you know, to use okay, dust off an old Maasai press conference. Oh, yeah? Culture reset. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I, I'm curious to see how that goes. Mostly from this quote, I'm happy that it's worked with Fred in Houston. Mm-hmm. We've see, we see lots of, if you watch Rockets games, you see lots of clips of him and Alper and Shangoon and like Fred always grabbing him after and, you know, taking him to the side during a timeout and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Jalen Green, same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's all just Fred. Like, I think Dylan has helped as well. Dylan more of a of lead course. by example and Jeff work Green. ethic kind of guy. Yeah, Uncle Jeff. Who, Coming uh, off a championship, you know. Yeah. Who's, yeah. I mean, he's going to be in the league till he's like 50, it seems like. Are we going to get an Uncle Green? <laughs> Are we going to get Uncle Jeff uh, dunk kind of tonight or what? Ooh. Yeah, probably will. Um, um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I hear that one and, and I could see how people could look into it and be like, okay, well, the... They were still very much figuring out what the new leadership dynamic and cultural dynamic was going to be at the end of last year, which is why you fire your coach and move on from a point guard and go out and, and in every presser talk about resetting or changing the culture and stuff like that. Um, but mostly I hear this and I'm glad yeah. it's a fit in use. I think it's it's good because as you mentioned in, in that interview that he did with Grange, which we also talked to Grange on the show about it. Nothing happens in the Raptors without us talking about it, honestly. Yeah. When you do, when you got to do like 10 hours minimum, um, you know, it, it's going to come up. But uh I like that Fred kind of reflected on the experience and tried to take that and sort of like make sure it didn't happen again in Houston. You know what I mean? Because you saw like lots of instances where like Fred was working out with Jalen Green. Remember they were running hills and stuff like that. This is just during the offseason. Mm-hmm. Like two, three days after he was signed, instantly in Houston running hills with these guys. Start of the season, everybody got like a Fred Ambley little like gift pack from everybody. There was like headphones or some other kind of, you know, the standard stuff. Like we've seen NBA players, for example, gift everyone watches. Some of them might also be sponsored, but regardless, just trying to do a nice thing to ingratiate with the group. As you mentioned, some of the in-game moments that they're talking about. Fred also discussed in this interview, we don't have the clip for it, but, um, you know, when he got to Toronto, the, the Houston Rockets have been here for like a, a, a day or already by now. Mm-hmm. So he took the team out to like the various spots in Toronto to show them around because he obviously he's been from here. So... Um, those type of things where, you know, I, you do wonder of like, did he, could he have done that 
with Toronto, for example, in previous years, would that have changed anything? Maybe he did do it. It just wasn't like didn't come to light. Uh, maybe the players weren't as receptive to it. Again, it's, it's a whole big conversation. Again, it's it's over now, but I'm happy to see that he's success, succeeding yeah. in Houston. I also think there's a little bit of a difference too when you are a team that's been rebuilding and you have young pieces mm. and then you are dropping in the culture elements with a new head coach and a couple of veterans and stuff like that. Yeah. Then if you are a team that has that pre-existing structure and is trying to mold that to right. a new young star and a new era under a new coach and stuff like that. Like the Raptors did end up changing their coach and changing some leaders and stuff, but Houston was like, okay, we have all this like raw Play-Doh yeah. um, and like cool talent and assets and stuff like that. We need to import something to build mm-hmm. that. And that was mostly the, the MA thing at first. Um, or it looked like it was only going to be the MA thing at first, and then they ended right. up being big cap players. So I think that's maybe a little bit of a di- different dynamic too than when, you know, Pascal, Fred, OG, Chris, like that is an establishing that's been there for years, and you're trying to then take what's already been there and what's extended from Kyle and Lamar. And like on paper, this should have been the way the culture maintains and, and transitions, but I think maybe they had a little trouble, you know, reworking that once the the Plato had hardened up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I got you. I got you. I got nice, I, nice little I got analogy. a nephew who's gotten into Play-Doh lately. I don't Evidently. know. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay, next one. Um, Speaking of children. So Fred says he also, is he is Fred Beverly still tuned into Raptors games? And, you know, the answer is a little surprising. Sorry to make this a Sports Illustrated headline. Anyway, this is a clip. It was a lot more before all the trades, obviously, because um, it's just such a different team now. But, uh whether I want to or not, my son makes me watch Raptors games. So he's always asking when the Raptors are playing. And we watch games on a daily basis. And he's still, he's still got all of the memories of, you know, being here. And um, he loves the mascot. And just he, lo- he knows the players and things like that. So we, we watch a lot of Raptors games. Yeah. By the way, I, everyone knows Fred's son. Yeah. Everyone knows. But, Blake, tell us the story one more time, please. Of Fred's son? Yeah. Like during the championship? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Fred's uh, partner was pregnant yeah. during the championship, and it was during the Milwaukee series, and Fred mm-hmm. had shot very poorly. And as I'm saying this, I'm going to bring I'll look it up for you. Don't worry. You yeah, keep yeah. telling the story. So, Fre- Fred had been struggling, uh, you know, quite a bit in that in that playoffs uh, run, especially shooting the ball. Mm-hmm. And then there was a game where he had to leave the team after a game. He didn't miss any time. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, you would not miss a playoff game, even yeah. for a birth of a child, which is absurd to yes. say. But, yeah. I believe it was after game three of the Milwaukee series. Yeah, he that game shot he shot one, one of 11. 11. Yeah. yeah, so he shot really, really poorly. This was like, Goodness. like in the Philly series, it was like, is he out of the rotation? There was a game in the Philly yes, series where he only played like six or seven minutes. Yeah. So it was th- like Jeremy Lin, maybe? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe we'll give it to Jeremy. That's how bad it had gotten. Yeah. And then his son is born in between games three and game four. And he goes like all nighter. Like yep. I got to go. I got to be with my partner for the birth of my child. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to announce this. I'm going to do this low key and I'm going to be back in time for game four. Cause he was in Chicago. So he would just drive back and forth from Milwaukee, which is yep. like an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he gets back for actually this part of the series was in Toronto. This was in Toronto. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Okay. So, um, but that was convenient for later. Yes. It uh, was, but, yes. Okay, okay. So he gets, he comes back and game four, he, ha- he knocks down all three threes. Has a good game. And then in game five, he breaks Matt Moore, uh, HP basketball, by going seven for nine on threes and then goes four or five in the clinching game six. So he goes from, he had been shooting 19% over the first 15 playoff games. Let me just give you the full numbers. I'm looking at the exact same ones right now. 15 games played, the first 15 games of the playoff series. So the Orlando series, the Philadelphia series, first three games of Milwaukee, 
four points per game on 25% shooting from the field, including 19 from three. Two rebounds, two assists. Like, I mean, he did a good job guarding JJ Redick at times, yeah. but like, holy, it was tough. And then. And then. And then the legendary Fred Jr. was born. And then. Yeah, and then from there, so not only was he, he was crazy hot in the Milwaukee series, but he was also very, very good in the Golden State series. Absolutely. Um, you know, getting the Steph Curry box and one assignment. Mm-hmm. So after those 15 games with those terrible numbers, the final nine games of the playoff run, he averaged 15 points on 51% shooting overall, 53% on threes, yeah. uh, and 2.4 assists to less than a turnover a game. I mean, again, everyone knows this already. This is this is great. I just like hearing it again, you know, yeah. like, Tell me, tell me yeah. again about, tell me again, Grandpa, about uh, about when when Freddie Jr. was born. But no, seriously, I mean, Game Six, of course, the the twenty two points, including twelve in the fourth quarter, like the the primal scream when he finally let it out when he crossed over. I forget who yeah. it was. I think Quinn Cook, bloody eye. Yeah, then it was like the Warriors were confusing their coverage, and then he crossed it up and he pulled. Oh man, I mean, this is why when people are like, why do people talk about Fred? It's like I don't know, man. He's uh, it, He's a part of our history, like like the I, rap, like the Canada thing. Yeah, I don't yeah, know, man. What, whatever. Heritage. I don't want to rehash the conversation around Fred like the last eighteen months or two years or whatever. But yeah. like generally, if someone played a role on your team winning a championship, I'm gonna revisit that as many times as I like you. You are still the other day in this office oh, watching yeah. YouTube mixes of the 2019 championship. Like till this day, is that yeah exactly <laughs> till this um, day until honestly the day I die I'll be watching that. Yeah. I'm not kidding, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. What else we got? What else we got? So we got another clip in terms of looking ahead to the future. Of course, um, Scotty Barnes named an All Star. Fred VanVleet's reaction to it. Uh, well, he's been there right with the rise of stars and things like that. So he's a little acclimated to the weekend and things like that, but. It'll be good for him to kind of be in that locker room and be in that group uh, with amongst the peers and amongst the other top players in the, in the NBA. So I'm, I'm happy for him, and um, he deserves He's playing extremely high level this year, and uh, it's the first of many for him. My question is, who was so messy to ask Fred about Scotty again? Well, okay, so I, I actually do want to clarify, because if anyone hadn't heard this yet and they, they okay. saw that clip start with the uh, – it wasn't what do you think of Scotty being all star. The question oh, okay, was okay. phrased as what can being at all star okay, do okay. for Scotty? Like, you, you. okay, so, not, not messy at all. Then. Yeah, so it was, it was more about bad. like you had the experience okay. as well. Um, so I just want to be clarified because obviously people are going to go for that and like, oh, if if he got asked just about Scotty being an all star and he had a yeah. long pause at the beginning, it was more about the all star experience and what you. that can do for a guy. First of all, um, man, it's gonna be yeah, great. mostly yeah. just happy that uh, you know Fred agrees with us. We we have the same ballot. This Scotty Barnes deserves yeah. to be on. Uh, Deserves to be on the all-star team. Uh, I mean, look, it's it's good. Obviously, you you want guys to be happy for each other. You want guys to be happy for their former teammates and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, and he's right. Scotty should be there. So it'll be uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Are we going to be on a hug watch? Are we going to see if he's going to hug him? I mean, he's he not already, he already playing, did that after. so it might be. Yeah, and like oh, they've already the played. Bench. Yeah. He's going to walk through. You know how the Raptors, yeah. you know, arena schedule where both teams have to walk past. Yeah. The same bench that's to get to the yeah. same tunnel. I'm more curious what kind of reception I'm gonna get because I wasn't down to shoot around. I'm I want some dab. Oh, you want a you want a Fred Fleet dab? I, w- I want the like who who was with you in the unsigned summer league post game mm. tunnel, you know, in twenty sixteen. Right, right. Talk about it. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah. actually I'm just <laughs> just where you guys around, had the, where you guys had Thomas and Mac or the other gym, the small gym. So when I found out the news that he had signed, yeah. uh was at the was at Thomas and Mac. Was it the big one, not the okay. Cox Pavilion? Like, yeah, um, Cox Pavilion is tiny. Like it probably seats yeah. like five hundred people. There's no such thing as a one-on-one there because executives. Yeah, there's no. You can't do a one-on-one at Cox Pavilion because everyone in the arena can hear your conversation. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, um, I'm actually going to ask you more questions about that in a second. Yeah. But this last one, 
is Fat Family going to react to the video montage that the Raptors obviously will have prepared for him when he plays later tonight? No, I don't, but my boy Tris put together a nice video for me, so it kind of gave me like a little warm-up to it, so hopefully I don't get too emotional. Uh, I'm not a big crying type of person, but uh, I'm worried that might creep up on me, so hopefully not. Hmm. What's going on? So what's going to be in this trippy video? Okay, so first of all, shout out to Tristan. Shout out to Tristan. Video guy, and uh, shout out to Lebon, who wrote a great piece on Tristan's rise from literally getting banned from Scotiabank Arena for sneaking a camera in as a you know kid from Scarborough trying to make content at Raptors games yeah. to now having worked for the Raptors and now being Fred's kind of personal video guy. Uh, terrific video. Yeah. Um, so also, cheap plug, uh, there's also a great interview with Tristan on this podcast yeah. feed if you search back to last summer, but keep going. Yeah, yeah um, so in terms of what's in the video, I mean, Tristan kind of nailed it already. Like, I love the shot of starting mm. from the Raptors 905 locker room. Yeah. Uh, because that, you know, I... I maybe would have even gone back to the summer league locker room, although I don't. I don't think even open gyms allowed in there um, because they are not a professional caliber locker rooms on the Cox Pavilion side. Mm. Um, but no, it's cool, man. I, I think obviously it's going to be heavy on the championship stuff. You'll sprinkle in some of the All Star stuff after, um, but this guy's a key part of the franchise for a long time. And in in addition to being a part of the championship and a part of what they thought at one point would extend the the competitive window with him and Pascal and those guys like. Him and Pascal really are these kind of avatars for, yes, the Raptors' culture and their success as a championship team, but they took these guys who were, like, undervalued and and slept on a little mm-hmm. bit, and those I, I really do tie them together in my head. And I know Pascal was still a first-round pick. It's not like nobody thought Dude. Pascal. And, and, like, even though hey, it was considered I'll, a reach. I'll, I'll put a context on yeah. this. Um, his, his agent once told me that two teams physically skied Pascal. Two NBA teams out of 30. Okay. I mean, he was all the like draft rankers had a mock to go in like the early forties. It's not like he was like not yeah. a no. But I mean, when you're talking about two, yeah, it's it's absurd. Yeah, yeah, it is. And like part of that is like like Hollinger's written about this, like how some teams are just like hard on, to catch. I guess on an island, basically. Like if he you're in New, Mexico, in New Mexico, State, yeah, there's nobody. You're not playing against other players who sure. are worth scouting, and you like right. as in terms of a, a scouting road trip, uh, don't make it anyway. Fred and Pascal to me are kind of the the avatars of the amount of player development success the Raptors had. And whether that was talent identification, whether that was player development, whether that was the success of the G League, whether that was all these things together, whether it was just the players, you just found two special guys who were um, able to turn. It's it's incredible that Pascal has quite literally the greatest, not maybe not the greatest, but one of the greatest player development stories of all time. And at times he was arguably not even the best player development story on his own team. Like Fred going, Mm. Fred was different because like he's, everyone knew what Fred was coming out of college. They just didn't think it would translate to the NBA. Whereas Pascal Pascal completely changed who he was as a player and continue developing. But Fred's story as, you know, uh, kind of like an ultimate underdog similar to, and and even like the Kyle comparisons, like Kyle was still first round pick out of Villanova. Like people thought Kyle would make it. Kyle was just Uh, a hothead and also tore his ACL. That's, it happens. You know what I mean? for him to go from undrafted guy to I'm going to use summer league to play my way into a 50K guarantee to try out for this team. And if not, I'm going to be one of the first guys to go to the G League. Um, It's pretty crazy that, that, like you mentioned it earlier to Bobby, literally the highest paid undrafted guy of all time and one of the very few to to make an all-star team. Like, like, Mm. okay, Ben Wallace. Cool. Yeah, there there aren't a lot of them, man. There really aren't Rodman. a lot of them. There you go. Like, yeah. I, there's I think there's one more I'm forgetting. But um, yeah. anyway, it's uh, it's it's pretty special. It's, it's pretty I don't cool. Think, look, 
I, I get where I, I hear where you're coming from totally. I, I don't think there needs to be that much justification. I think like his story is objectively cool, which leads into my final question on this. Do you have a personal favorite Fred Van Vliet moment or interaction <laughs> as, as media? Because you know he was the media's favorite. Also, like, which I don't even think is untrue, by the way. Fred was really a good, great quote. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, he's, he, <laughs> yeah. Ben Taylor was f-ing terrible tonight. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, too. Um, that's a good one. That's so good one. I'm going to do the same thing I did with Pascal and, and pick a it? stupid G League memory. No, go ahead, go ahead. I love uh, it. So during the, during the 2016 2017 season, the yeah. Raptors are they're coming off the conference finals when this is the, the last year where they allowed the G League playoffs and the NBA playoffs to overlap. So um, the, Fred Van Vliet is up with the Raptors for that series against Milwaukee. They yeah. need him. He's potentially, he's on the fringes of the rotation. He might get used. And then the 905 get down one game to nothing in the G League finals. Mm-hmm. And they send him down. Yeah. And, and it's basically like Fred does not need the G League reps at that no, point. No, no, no. They're like, go get us that title. We want yeah, the yeah. 905 title. Like and he that. basically told me that. He was like, I got sent down to bring back the title, not because I needed the reps or whatever. And then like he's on a plane right back to Milwaukee after to, to close it. Actually, the night that they won the championship, they're all celebrating. Yeah. This is, uh, I'll use this as my favorite one. And this was at the time more of a Stackhouse and Dan Tolzman one, but Fred and Pascal were there too, uh, and Bruno. That game ends. They're all shooting champagne. They're celebrating their 905 yeah. championship. And off to the coach's room on the side, Raptors Bucks game six is on as the Raptors almost blew, blew that I close. Totally they remember, nearly yeah. we blew the 20 point. Yeah, we so like everyone is watching that as they're kind of celebrating. And obviously the guys who are part of the Raptors are mm-hmm. watching a little more closely. So yeah. that was a... Uh, that that was really cool. Obviously the championship is the championship, but that, that moment with those a, G League guys... We had a man was who was cool. popping bottles yeah, at the Hershey Center parking lot. That's amazing. Yeah. My, my personal favorite one is actually something you can find on YouTube. Uh, me and Fred actually, in the we drafted three-on-three teams to go up against each other of Raptors players. And uh, I had Team Kyle. He had Team Fred, obviously. And um, the funniest thing about the interview was we were in, literally in the back of a footlocker, the one that's across the street from uh, Eaton Center. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like a literally a closet. So the camera is like maybe a meter away from us. And so the shot is super tight. And also, when I'm sitting down, I'm very tall. I'm literally a foot taller than Fred sitting down in that interview. You can go look for it on YouTube. It's me and him drafting a three-on-three teams. But anyway, time now for Between the Lines, brought to you by Brett Rivers. Take a chance. What do you got for us, Blake? Yeah, Raptors are two-point favorites, uh, over-under set of 233.5. On the Rockets side, Fred Van Vliet, Tari Eason, Steven Adams all out, uh, as they will be for a little bit here. On the Raptors side, Jonte still questionable. Uh, Kelly Olynyk and Oche Abaji are questionable as well. As Bobby told us earlier, they're here. Mm-hmm. They have to pass their physicals, and then the players in Utah have to pass their physicals uh, as well. Otto's got to pass his physical? I got a lot of jokes uh, wow. about that um, okay. <laughs> on Twitter when I when Oof. I tweeted that up. We that can't wait so, that one? So some unknowns there. Uh, the Rockets obviously just beat the Raptors by 29. Yeah, they did. Uh, but they did that with Fred, and the Raptors had no I mean, RJ, and it was the first game back for Quickly yeah. and Jakob Pertl. Uh, without Fred, the Rockets go from a plus 3.3 net rating to a minus 4.9 net rating. That is a top 40 mark in the league in terms of impact per possession uh, mm-hmm. based on EPM. So uh, Fred's a big loss for them, even if you like the pieces that are still there. Yeah, I, I think from the Raptors side, the biggest thing is the last game, they just couldn't protect the paint at all. And Jakob got absolutely schooled by Shangun. He fouled out in 20 minutes with six fouls, obviously. That was the first game back. Since then, Yak has been really, really good defensively. He's been a big part of what's kept the Raptors competitive since that game. Let's just put aside the Pelicans game. That didn't happen. Although Yak did actually win his matchup. But in any case, Jakob more in rhythm. I think that's going to help a lot defensively. Of course, it's going to be against a Houston team that has a lot of great athletes, right? You look at Jalen Green. You look at Cam Whitmore. Uh, you know, Eamon Thompson. Like, they're going to come at you. But as you have some rim protection back there... It'll help a lot. I I actually kind of like the Raptors to, you know, to take this one tonight. 
Yeah, get if, some revenge, you know? Have to play with some pride, you know? Like, trade deadline's over. All the excuses out the window. Let's just focus on the task at hand. Take Raptors minus two. That was Between the Lines, brought to you by Brett Rivers. Take a chance. And that does it for us today. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. It's time to get fired up. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review the show. Big thanks to our producers, Mark Boffo. Appreciate all the work you've done for us, man. Uh, Ahmed Mon, our board producer, Derek Rendell, Jennifer Ronick, David Sis, Jared Manitad, helping behind the scenes. Thanks to our guests, Bobby Webster, Sarah Todd, and we will talk to you next week.